0: Welcome to another episode of ask the zamboni experts i'm your host doug peters along with me today from the zamboni company is marty elliott today we're going to be discussing topics with pete carlson senior director of operations and programming for the national sports center and super rink in blaine minnesota welcome pete how you doing
1: that's uh, great things are great
0: thanks good good we're glad to have you here um pete could you tell us a little bit about your path to the super rink and uh, how you got started in the wonderful world of ice
1: yeah i know it's uh maybe a little bit different um i think ice rink managers find uh, their career path probably a lot of different ways there isn't really one set way to go to college and go to school for uh ice rink management and i was definitely um on that path i'm i'm a physical education teacher by trade i went to school for that um got teaching uh you know in, in schools and substitute teaching trying to get a full-time job coached high school hockey and things like that in minnesota um, but oddly enough my wife wanted to go down to the university of wisconsin and get her phd in education so of course like a good husband i would follow her and she's smart and all that kind of stuff so i'm following her instead of her following me but uh I was i was waiting to you know possibly get a job teaching I drove past a, a building in Verona, Wisconsin, looked like an ice arena. I'd been a Zamboni driver for you know many years before that in college and working hockey camps at Heartland Hockey Camp. I drove the Zamboni and things like that. So I knew I could get a job there and went in and the building, uh, the walls uh, just weren't up yet and found a guy and asked if they needed any Zamboni drivers. And they said, well, we need a manager. And I go, well, Geez, I don't know if I can do that. So I went home and told my wife that they need a manager. And she says, Well, did you say yes? And I go, Well, no, I don't know. I've I've never managed a building before. I'm a Fayette teacher. She's like, Take it, just say yes. And I'm like, Well, okay, go back. And that was the start of it. 1994. I was the hired as the manager of the Eagle's Nest Ice Arena and um, from then on, it was on-the-job training, learning ice install, how to drive, how to uh, uh, work you know, and, and operate the compressor room, and, and then it went to the concession stand and accounting and ice scheduling and ice sports programming and learning to work with an association and customers coming in and out, and it was uh, one of the best three years I had. That's awesome, Pete.
0: Now, you've... On your tagline, and and this is something because I've gotten old and my memory is not what it uh, used to be, uh, you've got 30 years that the National Sports Center has been around. Now, that's not all ice. Can you tell us what the history is of the National Sports Center and when it got ice?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, the National Sports Center has been around for 30 years. And what it is, it's a state entity in Minnesota. kind of unique in the operation. It's like it's under the umbrella of the Minnesota Amateur Sports Commission. So the Sports Commission does different things through amateur sports to bring in economic impact to the state of Minnesota through tax spending. Uh, The National Sports Center is the largest of their, Mm -hmm. um, I guess, businesses and whatnot. Giants Ridge uh, in Boabic is one. The National Volleyball Center in Rochester, Minnesota is one. Uh, the National Hockey Center in St. Cloud. Those are MASC kind of facilities. They get they help get things started, and then the operations takes over. And here at the National Sports Center, we're the same way. Um, we're a large facility, 600 acres of, uh, of land. We've got 56 soccer fields, uh, 18 holes of golf, now the eight ice rinks. Uh, an indoor soccer facility. 10,000 seat stadium of artificial turf soccer, we're the home of the Minnesota United professional soccer team, um, and uh, 144 bed dormitory full hospitality. I mean, we're, we've we've kind of got it all. It's a it's a great place. Then in '98, um, actually in '97, the idea was to build ice rinks, and we added four sheets of ice that opened October of '98, and that's uh, basically when I came onto the scene here at the National Sports Center.
0: Great. And I know I've had the opportunity to play the golf course up there. That Maybe you could expand just a little bit about that because I think that that's a pretty incredible golf course from the standpoint of multiple tees making the mm-hmm. course playable uh, and competitive. You could, as a hack like I am, I could compete mm-hmm. with a really good golfer because I'm playing on a different set of tees and maybe expound on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the only public PGA design courses in the in the state. And um, when the course was being added at the National Sports Center, again, we're a youth facility. Uh, Minnesota um, uh, Amateur Sports was a, a, a big part of this. So when it was designed, like you said, there's six or seven tee boxes on every hole. The 18-hole course will play 3,600 yards from the front tee boxes and all the way back to 7,100 yards um, from the tips. So with that type of um, opportunity, it really allows um, youth to participate and you know, if you go to a course and you see some young kids in front of you, you're like, oh no, this is going to be a four or five hour round. Well, if they play the proper tee boxes, they're moving just as fast as you are as maybe a, a pretty avid golfer. So that's been something, just the design of the course is, is, is neat. Something else we do is we work with the first tee program and youth have priority of tee times over adults. doesn't mean adults can't play it, but youth have the priority. Um, so adults can't make tee times um they're they're uh up to three days in advance and youth are up to seven days in advance or 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 before that so we really want youth to get out and play we've got a fantastic driving range we've got an 18 hole real bent grass green putting course it's not miniature golf by any means it's real cut holes with tee boxes and uh there's par twos and par threes and par fours that you go around this uh this uh putting area and it it is it's fantastic and in in fact the golf course is so nice for the last two years now we've been the the uh, play-in course or the qualifying course for the new 3m open which is on the pga tour now
0: yeah one of the things that uh i'm familiar with being formerly of minnesota when the facility went up you had to bring together a bunch of different communities because you had different organizations that mm-hmm. assumed I don't know if it's ownership, but that's the proper word of each ice rink they had different. How difficult is that, or how easy is that, to maintain mm-hmm. the cooperation between the different communities and their programs?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and I think we're uh, we're a really good example of how uh, government can work together with um, different cities and. and and actually other uh, high schools, youth hockey associations, to come in one. I mean, we're in a part of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, uh, 30 minutes north of both of those. There's a lot of hockey. There's a lot of rivalries. And here, this concept of bringing rival cities, in a sense, in sport to come under one roof, um, that alone was kind of difficult. but. the real reason this thing worked and it, it happened—it really started off with girls' hockey was growing in in Minnesota so much. In Title IX, um, that law of, of equal time for boys and girls on the ice was was in jeopardy. You know, the boys had all the ice, and now all of a sudden the girls are coming in and they're not getting the equal time. So cities and ice arenas had to make some decisions in Minnesota, and we're just four of those. Of those rinks, um, the Mighty Ducks, a program with the state of Minnesota, helped ice arenas be built in Minnesota. It's called the Mighty Ducks program. So, um, how it worked here in in our area, uh, the city of Coon Rapids, the city of Blaine, uh, Ramsey County, they all had ice arenas. Uh, Centennial High School had an ice rink uh, on their on their campus for Centen- uh, for Circle Pines and Lionel Lake, but they all had their single ice sheet. So instead of those cities or arenas spending 5 million dollars potentially to add a second sheet we had, we put a program together that just asked for 500,000 dollars then that got matched by the Mighty Duck grant program of another 500 so in in uh, a short story is for each of these cities or counties instead of spending 5 million in tax dollars they only had to get 500 to us. We had a total of $2 million of uh, startup money. And then we bonded um, another $10 million for a $12 million project. There's rights and obligations. And the word ownership is in some of the language because we want those cities and those associations to feel like there is ownership here. So we put their name. We put their colors. Um, they're a big part of the success of it. But we operate it. We program it. And we have to run this thing three ways. There are not there are no city dollars, there's no state dollars that go into our operation in the ice arena or the National Sports Center. So we have to pay back that $10 million through ice sales, hospitality, and sponsorship. Now, if we didn't do that, there are some clauses we can go back to the cities and ask for help. But uh, knock on wood, and even going through COVID right now, We've never had to go back and ask for that. And we've only got three years left on our agreement of a 25 year deal. So I think we're going to be able to make it. That's awesome, Pete. And you basically threw me a softball for the next question for you. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I I know you've got some great staff there. And over the years, Mm -hmm. uh, you've had people that have come and cut their teeth in the industry. Uh, You got that famous Brodzinski family that uh, (laughs) that does some work for you. Um, What's it like? getting people uh, and, and staffing up for a building the size that uh, your project is?
1: Yeah, you know, it's been, uh, you know, not knowing what uh, this industry does, but the, the the ability to get into ice rink management, um, if you love the game, and it's ice sports too, it can be figure skating, it can be hockey, it can be just being around it, whether you're a player or or, or you just like to see it, To be at an ice rink is is a great place to be and um i've been very fortunate to have some great people working here at the at the at the super rink i've got well in 22 years of being here i've gone through quite a few managers you talk about cutting their teeth i want to say i have 12 or 13 people that have started out as rink techs or drivers you know (laughs) cleaning staff that are now managing their own, they're the top person in the ice rink. And to name a couple of them, uh, one of my first hires, well, the first hire I had was Brad Telberg. And uh, he went on to manage a few different ice arenas and now he's at Brooklyn Center uh, in Brooklyn Park as the Assistant uh, Park and Rec Director, but also in the rink operation. Um, Eric Sutherland is at Andover Ice Arena, the top person. He was. Uh, one of my managers Brandon Radicky at PMP Arena in Pittsburgh he runs one of the you know the largest NHL arenas and 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 pristine uh, Lemieux Center uh, Brandon's one of our guys so I can go on and on we've got 12 13 people that have started in the lowest level um of just saying hey I want to work at the ice rink in some capacity that over time have learned and I, and and that's a, a a tribute to the national sports and and what we can offer, but other ice rinks as well. You know we're, we're doing the same thing, but we have a, a lot of opportunity here to do different jobs, uh, whether it be in the operations, the programming, um, and or other sports. And then you said the Brodzinski family. I mean, if you're in hockey, you know uh, Brodzinskis have been in um, California. They've been with the Kings and the San Jose Sharks and. Um, oddly enough, Johnny Brodzinski, Michael, Easton, and Bryce, all four of them, are at the rink today getting a little skate in. Um, uh, the, the price is right. Uh, Kathy, uh, their mother, and uh, is our administrative assistant here, so I think she finds a way to get the boys on the ice for a pretty good rate. <sighs> she sneaks
0: them in the back door, tell her that they would have all yeah. fared better had they been uh, wearing the orange and black of the Anaheim Ducks. I I pushed pushed hard for that, but I didn't have the control when it came to the draft room. Um, With with eight sheets of ice that you've got there, um, what do you find are the challenges? Because each ice rink is gonna be its own breathing organism. Uh, Mm -hmm. Are you finding that there's differences from one side of the building to the other, one end of the building to the other? What kind of challenges do you face with
1: that? Well, one thing on that question that comes to mind right away is the front four rinks were built in a in a um, certain way, and then the rinks five, six, seven, and eight were built another way. So uh, one through four are kind of in a in a circle, I guess I would say, um, and then uh, five, six, seven, and eight are in a straight line down the way, and that was purposeful at the time. Um, you know the challenge we have now is it's a long ways from the front ranks to the you know rink one to rink eight and when you're operating a tournament you're like holy cow i got to go all the way back there Uh we designed it that way it has its pros it has its cons uh, we designed it the way it is right now because we thought we were going to have ice in um five six seven and eight maybe for four months right during the winter season and then we built tall roofs and or high high ceilings and Because we're going to play lacrosse and soccer in there. We haven't taken the ice out of rinks five and six since the day we put it in, and rinks seven and eight only come out because we didn't put heat under the floor. So we do some dry floor June, July, and August. That's it. But um, if we were to go back and had the crystal ball, we would have designed five, six, seven, and eight exactly like we did one through four. Um, But but we thought we were just going to add a little bit, you know, a, a, a a group buying ice on rinks one through four and wanted to add a tournament to rink five. Okay, that's fine. So now people could still get in rinks six, seven, and eight easily without having to go through with a tournament, let's say. Heck, every request is coming right now. They want eight sheets of ice or six sheets of ice. So uh, that's a good thing um, that we're operating that way. But that that's one thing. I would just say the design uh, is a little bit. But other than that, you know, we're kind of a two-sheet facility um, just expanded, right? So a lot of two sheets around the country, um, one driver takes care of two sheets, and that's what we do. So we've got four drivers on, right? We just operate each two-sheet facility kind of the same, if, if that makes sense at all, That like a normal two-sheet facility would do. Sure. I wanna to toss
0: this over to, to Marty to ask some questions uh, about um, technology that you guys have jumped into. Uh, And then maybe we'll get back to when you went from fossil fuel machines to electrics. But Marty's our specialist on Level Ice product. And I know that you guys have got that on a few of your machines. Marty, why don't you take it away and ask some questions about Level Ice?
2: Thanks, Doug. Yeah, Pete, um, you know, a uh, sustainability uh, aspect of your facility uh, going green, the energy efficiencies, uh, coming back to what you initially, uh, originally spoke about uh, with mm-hmm. your um, uh, with your funding and um, how that applies to um, operating costs. Um, you brought in level ice, you've gone electric. I know Doug will talk more about electric on the isosurfacer and the edgers. Yeah. I guess my biggest question is, and I was fortunate enough to come in and uh, do some training with your staff. Uh, I think it's pad five and six that we initially put it in. Um, yeah. Have you folks been able to do any sort of M&V measurement verifications um, concerning pre-installation to post-installation as far as identifying savings?
1: You know, uh, I wish I could say yes and have a bunch of numbers for you and come back with that one. But no, we haven't. But um, I do know that just how things work and operate with the machine, our ice levels are better. Our ice levels are consistency, consistently thinner. Right? We're not building up as high in the corners. We're not building up in other areas. Um, that is happening. Um, I will say this, that the drivers that we have are fighting to get on ranks five and six to, to <laughs> drive on their shifts because that's where you know those two machines have that. Um, we right. don't have it on the others yet, partially just um, cost is an issue for us right now. But uh, I, as, as we get new machines and we continue to go forward, we'll add that feature to these machines. I know you don't have to do it at the start, you can add it onto a current an existing machine, but um, uh, no, we love it, it's, it's great, it's, uh, it's helped our operations and, the, and again, staff time of edging has gone down a lot. So there's a lot of ways that um, yes, we're saving some money and we've got a better product for our customers, I just don't have the exact amount yeah. of what that was.
2: Yeah, based on historical data, I mean, I know from facilities that uh, have had this system for a while, they've actually identified that their uh, their plant is actually, specifically the compressors, their run times are a little lower due uh, yep. to the fact of you're carrying less ice. Talk about the operators, because uh, you do have a lot of operators uh, in your mm-hmm. facility uh, fighting over five and six uh, pads, but yeah. uh, what are what are the pause, positives, what are the uh, negatives, uh, challenges they may have uh, gone through to adapt from traditional hand crank to the automated level A system?
1: Yeah, um, I think it's, you know, it's pretty easy. Everything has probably pros and cons a little bit. You know, the pro is that they know they can jump on that machine. Um, We have to do our work to have it set up and have it set right. And that's uh, our daytime full-time guys are doing that. And then when our part-time staff gets in on nights and weekends, um, as long as that is set up, they're pretty much back up, go forward, drop the conditioner and go. It's about that simple. Uh, that's yeah. the reason they like to be there. Now just to say if something isn't right, if the laser isn't you know adding up or the, the it's not reading the conditioner and, and something goes wrong and we have to get it to switch to hand for whatever reason, yeah, you know there's a little issue and that's technology in every way, right? If the Wi-Fi <laughs> goes down inside a nice arena right now, Forget it. I mean, yes. you can't get, I mean, it, we kind of stop with, um, and I'll, I'll change the change it up a little bit. If we lose our locker room assignment board that's digitized, people think there's no ice here anymore. They're like, oh, we don't have ice. We're out of here. You know, it, it's, <laughs> but, but we don't want to lose those things that make our job better, like the level. But when it goes away, it, it hurts a little bit, and it's a little more difficult.
2: Yeah, that's a story I I, and I know Doug hears a lot, uh, specifically turning into technology with technologies such as Level Ice. Um, sometimes we get complacent. Um, we mm-hmm. recognize that as a supplier um, and an OEM. And, you know, I, I'm sure Doug shared it with uh, you and your staff. But what we've done now is the resources we have on our website uh, with the uh, all the Level Ice training videos that would be mm-hmm. a duplicate of what I did when I was there on site there, uh, well, yeah. I'll say two years ago. I think it's two years yeah. now um, and that specific situation where their uh, system has gone down, they got to go back to a hand crank. I mean, that video walks them through step-by-step step that they can have it off and hand crank back on and ready to rock and roll in 20 minutes. So uh, um, that's great feedback uh, that uh, yeah. that you're sharing with us so that we can, uh, that we can make sure we're managing you uh, correctly. Let me uh, turn it back over to Doug and perhaps uh, sure. take it a step further into the electrical uh, capacity.
0: Thanks Marty. Uh, Pete, You know, again, being from Minnesota, I still stay up on top of the news uh, and, you know, being in the job that I've been in for, it's 33 years now, uh, the state of Minnesota and its air quality standards uh, is a big push. Was there any reason beyond uh, trying to get away from the um, hassles of running a fossil fuel in your building that drove you guys to make the decision to go to electric machines when
1: you did? Right. Well... Uh, sure. I think um, you know, air quality is one that's an easy one to talk about. And is as long as you can, uh, you know, testing is an issue. Um, having We've got staff. Okay, let's just say we've got great staff, right? We've already discussed that. But some of our staff is young. Some of them are green. They haven't been in the business that much. And like just to have them find where the broom goes and how to use the broom and dustpan is, is like that's a When it's in the right spot and it was used, we are clapping our hands, high-fiving. Now you put the type of technology to save lives to run your air quality equipment properly, from your dehumidification to testing. So we're having part-time people potentially test. There's there's a lot of risk with that. So battery machines come out. This is going to save that piece. Well, it did so much more than that. You know, we we're, we're, uh, we're, we don't have to test air like we had to before with a combustible engine. We're also not bringing in, well, we're bringing in outside air, but we don't have to bring in as much and we don't have to condition that air as much, right? So in the wintertime, when we're bringing in uh, zero degree temperature air, um, we don't have to heat it. And in the summertime, it's like 98, well, uh, say 82% dew points are out there and it's uh, hot and humid, we don't have to cool it and dehumidify it. There's a tremendous savings in doing that. Those were all good, but I think it was the technology of the battery that it finally got to the point where we could run with it, right? Like if the technology came out as it is today, 10 years before that or five years before that, we would have all been buying it anyways. But there was some, you know, some thought of can it last an entire Saturday? Can it last a Saturday and Sunday? Uh, What happens if it does go down? What type of um, maintenance does it take? And all those things got better. And I would say actually quite quickly that now it's, uh, it's pretty automatic to say, you know, you'd have to find some ways to talk yourself out of not going battery as opposed to the other way of going fossil fuel. So we're really happy with that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's
0: one of those things that I think that uh, face that question quite a bit early on in the 552's life, which has been out since 1990. Uh, people had concerns it kind of prove me, show me kind of thing. And it has. Yeah. And, and we thank you guys for your help uh, in testing uh, a year ago, I think it was, mm-hmm. with the lithium ion, and that's become quite popular. We're seeing a, a take rate of that that's north of 90 percent on... Uh, lead acid, over lead acid, which surprised me. When I was asked to mm-hmm. do my forecast to see what it would be, it was, uh, I think, you know, I can probably convince 75% of the people to go. And you tell them that they take exactly what you've talked about, is take the maintenance aspect out of it, that nobody mm-hmm. has to measure uh, the batteries for specific gravity or open circuit voltage. They don't have to water them, right. You don't have to worry about, are they being watered enough or they be watered too much? So, we thank you for your guys' help in mm-hmm. that. And the rinks in Minnesota that are getting the lithium ions can thank you as well um, yeah. for that. And Pete, no. you've also adapted to the easy three edger, which is the electric mm-hmm. edger. How is that? Cause I think you guys had the corded ones for a while it mm-hmm. took a little bit of uh, trial with us to, to jump on the easy three bandwagon. Has that worked out well for you as well?
1: Well, I got to play the honest card here. I'm an honest guy. So, um, I haven't pushed one around yet myself, Doug. <laughs> okay, <laughs> But the my guys are not coming in my office saying, hey, we need something else, right? So um, I got to show my cards a little bit. I wish I could say I was out there doing it and pushing it around. But um, no, everybody likes it, um, they're, uh, it's working well, and again, I go off of when um, you know Ryan Heverin is known in the business. Uh, he's he's with the Olympics. He's done the Olympics. He's been uh, doing NHL or NHL games, and uh, you know he brings back what the suggestions are in the industry and says this is what we need and this is what we'd like. And um, I'm trusting our our guys on those types of things, and uh, they they like the they like it very much.
0: So it's kind of like a happy wife happy life. If you're not hearing any complaints <laughs> from the staff, all is good. Well. We're glad yep. to be a glad to be a part of that. You had mentioned something about uh seasonal uh differences in your building and again growing up in Minnesota, uh mm-hmm. I've been hotter in 85 degree weather in Minnesota than 120 in uh, Phoenix. What kind of right. challenges are you faced with in your building, especially with the size of it, to try yeah. to maintain ice in your buildings?
1: Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, we uh we struggle at times. Um We've, we've had uh, um, problems with uh, when the dehumidification goes down on those hot days of, and, and it goes down in one rink and not the other because we're fortunate to have um, four units for the front four rinks. In the back rinks, we call five, six, seven, eight, the back, it's one unit per two. So um, in the summertime, uh, let's just take the front four rinks. If we do lose something, it only negatively impacts one of the three. That's the good news, but I'll tell you when it happens, it, it's it's not good. Hockey players, those uh, skaters, generally can skate on anything. Um, they're they're not okay. They're not happy with soft ice or they're not happy with wet ice. But um, if it were to happen, they can go. Figure skaters, a little bit different, you know, and rightfully so. They're on one skate half most of the time while they're on the ice, so their conditions need to be a little better. But um, um, we're fortunate in this way, I would say, is yes, we're a large facility, eight ice sheets, but generally each ice sheet throughout the day has the same user on it. Meaning like if it's a hockey tournament, they're taking all eight. If it's a figure skating event, they're taking six or eight sheets. You know, we were gonna have ISI World Figure Skatings here, unfortunately it got canceled. But they were gonna take you know, the front four rinks every hour. So there isn't a big difference of the user seeing something that potentially is wrong in the back of the house, right? So it's generally the same. Um, but we've been we've been fortunate. We've got good equipment. We've got high quality equipment. We've got great uh, mechanical people on site and people that we can call. And uh, we uh, we really have to be on our toes, like every other ice rink in these conditions when it's too cold or too hot. Um, I'll just say this there there aren't any more nights where you're listening to a rainstorm and the thunder and you're seeing lightning, you're just laying there loving it. Like I haven't had that in twenty five years. Those we're like uh oh, are we gonna lose power or the compressor's gonna go down? Uh-uh. And I I would like to have some of those nice rainy nights where you just listen in uh, in comfort, but not not in our business
0: no there's always a potential headache uh just waiting to, to smack you upside yeah. the head you, you talked about the isi and uh it having to uh change their uh, championship event till next year yeah. because of of covid um what other events have you been forced to deal with and and i know you guys are busy you guys do a walleye chop tournament i've talked yeah. about that a little bit with you Maybe expand a little bit in some of the things that maybe you've had to push off till next year, or um, maybe you've been able to reposition later in the year when this CV thing uh, slows down a little bit.
1: Right. I think the the big part of it is that you know we had some national and world events scheduled. We had uh, USA Women's Girls Girls and Women's Nationals set for April. Um, we la- uh, they canceled. No reschedule. ISI. World Figure Skating Championships in in uh, July canceled. Tried to reschedule for Labor Day weekend. Um, thought we were going to get it to happen, but then this just kind of continued. Now canceled. Um, as of right now, not 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 going to happen. Um, other events, you know, this hit during the time, and it is somewhat important to remember. It hit during the time of when our uh, USA hockey and U.S. figure skating and ISI events mainly are not happening. right? It's it's the off-season of time. March, April, May, uh, June, July, August is where we're at right now. So those are times of the year that ice arenas are relying on a lot of private business to come into their facilities. And I know some groups and some people will I don't know, maybe not talk nicely about those businesses. Maybe they think they're making too much money or they think they're being um, too aggressive and skating too much and things like that. There's philosophies, right, all over the place. Uh, We as ice rink managers, I always say, we can't be in the philosophy business. If you want to skate backwards for an hour, it's $210 an hour to do it. If you want to, you know, whatever it is, we're not going to dictate what it is. We think all, uh, pretty much all ice sales are good. But these private businesses rely on our facilities to be open. They can't do business somewhere else if if our rink is closed and the the rink next to us is closed and the rink is closed in the next state. Their chances of not being in business in 2021 potentially are hindered, and that's 21, 22, 23, 24. Like these businesses want to be keep going, and Like a restaurant, like a hotel, like a gas station, they don't open for three months, four months. In one year, they may not come back. So we worked very closely with our groups coming in, talked to them, I would say, weekly, if not daily, of updates of what's happening in the state of Minnesota. We had a direct connect with the governor's office to have a little heads up, and we we shared that information with other ice rink managers in the state to try to give some guidance of when will we be open. And there were several groups that were like, nope, we're canceling, we're not going to reschedule, but we just said, hang in there, we think a change is coming. Well, the change came in June. Fortunately, some of our soccer events, which are 500 team soccer tournaments and a thousand team soccer tournaments in July called USA Cup, that tournament didn't happen. It opened up weekends at the ice arena that we could operate. So, the April and May tournaments that did not happen, well, that would be close to eight events. I think we got six of those back in June and July. So, we're really only down about two big events. Um, So, that was helpful to us and it was helpful to those private users as well, uh, private um, businesses as well you've got a
0: now 22-year-old facility, or at least some of the rinks are 22 years old. What challenges are you faced with in trying to keep it up to that gold standard and keep it to what you have built your customers to expect? You've set such a high standard. What are you guys doing to make sure that they still have that same experience as they did when they walked into the facility for the first time?
1: Right. Well, that's a hot topic right now. I, I would say that anybody coming to the, NSC Super Rink for the first time or something, they still come in and get a wow factor. Um, you know, they come in and the sliding doors open and they, they see 32 locker rooms, assignments for 32 locker rooms, and Rink 8 is down, the, down this hallway. And, you know, then they go upstairs and they see four, they overlook four rinks, and the, the Hatcher Cafe area is super cool. But for the groups that have been here for, you know, Youth associations, they're in that that association for six, seven, eight years, then they time out, right, and they're gone. But if you've been in here eight, nine, ten years, you're looking at this place going, yeah, she's getting a little, uh, you know, the colors aren't quite as bright and um, the walls don't shine as much and the, the lighting isn't as good as it used to be because you get used to it, right? So we're in that right now. We are planning, oddly enough, uh, 2023 is uh, we're going to create new agreements. That'll be 25 years that we will have um, this facility, um, our our current consortium members. We want to renew our current consortium members with some new rules and guidelines, but that comes with a price tag, and we want to put $12 million back into this facility. About six of it will be in the compressor room and uh, with new floors and boards. But uh, if we just spend that alone, it won't be enough. Because ice rinks these days aren't being built just as little metal buildings anymore, right? Like, they have all the new technology, the lights, the sounds, the the uh, the warm areas, uh, flat screen TVs, places to sit on a chair, a table, or a couch. It has to, these amenities have to be there. So we're looking at all that. And uh, we're going to put that stuff in with uh, with you know, six million in the compressor room, boards, floor, like I said, and then uh, dress this place up a little bit.
0: Pete, how has the business changed and evolved at your facility from the 22 years that it's been open? Uh, what are you doing the same? What are you doing differently than you were at the onset?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're, you're probably sitting out looking at ice sports programs, and you, if you're just uh, taking it, you probably don't see a big difference. But there, there has been at least here in Minnesota. Um, when I first started here, we had four ranks associations. We're doing a lot of practicing, a lot of pre, pre skates before their season, a lot of post skates after their season. Um, that's gone away a little bit. Uh, we used to have leagues. You know, we'd have a uh, hundred and fifty. Teams in our spring and summer leagues that we get two practices and eight games, let's say. We sold the majority of our ice that way. I think the big change right now is um, a new way to skate or a new way to practice. And I'm, I'm kind of hockey-specific here, and I don't mean to leave out broomball and figure skating and, and those things, but um, it's really the hockey market is, is the one that I see the largest change in, and that is I don't know if there's as many kids skating um, today as there were five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago, but the number of hours are still being purchased, right? So I think a group of kids—it's called AAA hockey—and sometimes that's a good word. Some people take it as a bad word. It, it's good for ice rinks right now. Um, we're selling a lot of ice. So what the AAA market has done off season is has gotten a group of teams together. Now they practice two, three, four times a week, and then they, we've, we, we or public, private businesses created tournaments, and then they go to those tournaments. And a lot of people call it checkbook hockey and negative tones to it. But here's the thing, it is what it is. Kids are on the ice. They're they're playing. Are they playing too much? I don't know. Once again, I'm not going to be the one to say. I've got my philosophy. I've got my kids, and I know how much they played, and that's between us. But uh, I know the rinks are busy. And one thing I'll say um, on the change, it used to be only a few ice arenas were open in the summertime, right? I mean, it was some rinks would go down and they were open six months a year and they'd shut down for the summer. A lot of those rinks now, I, I, there are 22 ice sheets within 15 minutes of the super rink. They're all open 12 months a year and they're all busy. 12 months a year. And that's just in that small footprint where I am. You can continue down down to Rochester and um, up to Grand Rapids and uh, to Duluth and those those things. So I I think the big change is um, kids are skating more. Um, I'm not going to say that's a negative at all. Um, They're just doing it in a few different ways.
0: I'm going to ask you to put on your great Karnak hat. And by that, I'm showing my age. I know you're mm-hmm. not that old to to I remember, remember
1: Johnny Carson.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're probably only because your parents told you about him. Uh, <laughs> what do you think the marketplace might look like in 10, 20, or 30 years? And I'll uh, jump in just a little bit. I, I know that one of the things that's changed immensely in the time since I left Minnesota, and you talked about it earlier, is girls hockey. Do you see that to continue to grow? And what other things you might see change or continue on at a much bigger pace going forward?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, ice rinks and park and recreation departments and hockey uh, businesses and things like that, it's it's always just keeping your, you know, your, your finger on the pulse of what direction is it going? Where, what is it going? I, I don't know. Um, I do know um, we want to keep this facility ice. We don't want to go into uh, the the indoor soccer market or the indoor lacrosse market in an ice arena. So I think we have to be aware of it. I think girls hockey, we need to continue to um, um, promote that sport, um, continue to promote boys and girls figure skating. It's huge. Do you know our figure skating department, NSC figures figure skate department rents about two thousand hours of ice a year okay so and I've talked a lot about hockey and I want to put a plug in two thousand hours and a, a single sheet ice rink is would be happy to have two thousand hours sold in their single sheet facility I mean three thousand would be better but two two thousand hours isn't bad our one program of figure skating is doing that it's it's huge it's enormous so Um, We need to continue to just share with our schools, share with our communities that the ice sports that we offer are a good place to be, um, a fun place to be, a safe place to be. And uh, if you pick it up, it's a lifelong activity that you can do. And I think if we keep promoting those things, what they'll be doing on the ice, I can't say for sure but uh as long as they're playing participating some way i think uh, we'll be able to be in business and provide a nice opportunity for people
0: it sounds like jane shaver deserves a raise if she's the one generating <laughs> that many hours of ice
1: Another i've always person. said when jane leaves i leave because she does <laughs> a ton here and she's got a great group of people too working uh, with her and for her
0: yeah she's she a great person and i know you got a great staff with uh, that she's put together and usually it's a sign of good management when you've got a lot of good people, uh, underneath you. Um, yeah. can you talk a little bit about the training center and, and this didn't get put on the list, but, uh, I was there years ago when it was inaugurated the Brooks uh Dryland sure. training center. Uh, is that still going on? And if so, how big a portion is that to your skaters in your building?
1: Right. The uh, Herbrooks Training Center, fantastic facility. Um, I'll tell you, this is it's kind of a a business 101. You think just because you build it they'll come? That did not happen with this facility. Here we have what I would say one of the nicest and largest dry land training centers maybe anywhere. And if you've seen it Doug, it, it is nice. And here we've got unfortunately you know, because of Herb's death, we've got his name on it, and uh, one of the most powerful names in hockey. And then we have uh, a board that has tons of good names, uh, Larry Hendrickson, Dean Talafus, um, Total Hockey was a group that was going to come in. And this should be an automatic home run. This is going to fill no matter what. It did not happen. And I cautioned people a little bit on that, that just because, you know, you're going to build a nice center. It's going to it's going to automatically fill, and that isn't the case. So we uh, they operated for about two or three years, and then uh, didn't quite get it to to fill. And then we had to go out to a a private group of showcase hockey to give it a shot. And they had a ton of kids in their off season program. We're we say, hey, they've got so many kids. This we'll just build in dry land training to their hockey program, right? Well, think about it. How many kids? in the pyramid of hockey want to train off ice? Not many, like just the little tip of the pyramid, that's it. So here we're jamming down dryland training, jumping up and down, lifting weights, shooting bucks, all this to kids that just don't even want to do that. They want to go play hockey and they love to play hockey, but we were forcing this down there. So then we've got to a third group and I'll give them a little plug called uh, FIT hockey flexible hockey individual training justin johnson owns that he's a former golfer. Um, i think he played on some national teams great guy creates fit hockey and it's individualized to sign up and to go on the ice and here's a big part they added ice to it so now you're skating uh, on in the ice programs and then supplementing some dry land is how it should be of of doing things that you want to do particular. but if you ever get to the uh, NSC Super Inc, you've got to go look at the Herbrooks Dryland Training Center. It's fantastic. The foundation is still strong. Um, John Cherney is the executive director of that. He's doing programming uh, in the inner cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul and, and some other uh, suburbs just doing a fantastic job with the foundation. That's awesome, Pete. Yeah,
0: I was very fortunate. It was up there a few years back when it um was the inauguration i got to meet uh former governor um wendy anderson and then mm. the the gentleman who was the the, the republican governor uh, why why can i not uh, remember his name the young guy that was the governor at the time and i was, think there was
1: was jim plenty
0: yeah plenty sorry yep that's yep. the guy and i think they actually they might have had two or three governors there for that opening which was which was very interesting and I'm a huge Herb Brooks disciple, so anytime his name's on something, uh, we certainly love to support that, and I've been lucky enough to to meet his daughter, Kelly uh, Brooks Paradise, who I think is on that board. Just great, so I'm hoping that that will continue to grow, and that people will find the opportunity to, to utilize it, because it is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to go into is there's a a bit of friendly competition i think between you and the your facility i shouldn't say you personally but your facility and there's a facility out Marlborough, mass as to who's mm-hmm. got more ice sheets um <laughs> is that is that something i think they're maybe they don't have full size surfaces but they're up to i think 10 sheets now is it uh and where yeah. where do you guys with that are you going to get to 12 real quick so that we can sell a <laughs> few more machines to you
1: oh man um you know, there was a time we were in that competitive range of saying, yeah, we might just have to do it and bite the bullet. And But, uh, no, I don't think we're there. I think we still are looking at quality uh, pro, uh, facilities and whatnot. And to add to right now would, uh, would put a dent in what we do and what we're doing very well. Um, I do know about uh, the Marlboro Arena, and um, I think we've got fun competition with each other. Uh, we... I, we've talked to, to each other at NARS and um, uh, ISI conferences and, and uh, expos and things like that. So um, everything's cool. We're okay with, uh, with them. I think they're okay with us. I do have to say that um, if you add up the square footage of ice, okay, okay, this is how competitive I am. We have four Olympic and four NHL. They have eight NHL, and two studio rinks to give them 10 rinks but i i believe if you add up the square footage we still have more square footage of ice than anyone under one roof so i'll just leave it at that but that's a hard tagline to put, on a, to put on, a, on a brochure
2: i think the best way to settle the tie who's who's bigger than the other just take a look at the hours on the zambonis <laughs> okay there you go well yeah that, that might be a
0: that might be a poor job by the salesman in the states marty because if there's too many hours on the machines in blaine the sales guy's is not doing a good enough job so no it's it's a friendly competition pete and i know that uh west huddle out there uh when i talk to him about it uh, it's always they're curious as to what you're doing uh, yeah. he's curious you know as to what's going yeah. on in, in comparison and it is it, it, it It's amazing to me, I know up in Canada Marty, you might see it a little bit more with Canland uh where they've got multi pad uh complexes, but in the states you guys are are two sites to behold based on how mm-hmm. much ice and how busy both of you guys are i mean it it's yeah. it's awesome to see that, and it's great for us for business so
1: I'm um, glad we're not- I'm glad we're not neighbors, let's just say that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I
0: don't, I don't think that, I think that it's a good location. I don't know if they'll get one out on the West Coast out here in the new state of Cal, or the new state of hockey, as I'm referring to it. I think I'm going to trademark that title uh, in yeah. California with all the NHL teams and AHL teams that we have. But I, I can't let you go without getting on the topic of food. Uh, that's kind of like uh, my kind of thing. I'm a bit of a foodie. Uh, I want to know what your go-to food is. And are you a big fan of White Castle?
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry, I'm not a big fan of White Castle. I've certainly had it at certain hours of uh, of the day. We'll just say when. I won't say when that is, but that has happened. But I guess if I were to have to give you my favorite food, it would go right to Mexican.
0: There, there you Cotton go. And, and and where do you go for that, Pete, in the land of Ludafisk and Lefsa? <laughs>
1: Well, I'm not picky. That's the good part of me liking it so much. So I can do a walking taco right out of the uh, Hatcher Cafe and feel pretty good about it. But uh, you know, there's nothing better than uh, getting on a plane and heading down to Mexico and eating it right at the the resort and having the all-inclusive. That's where I'd like to have it the most. But uh, that's a few times in between. So um, I'm everywhere. Anywhere and everywhere, tacos, Mexican food, it doesn't matter.
0: Come on out here, and I'll, I'll cook you up some tacos and I'll let you sample my wife's salsa. And she right. makes that to the point where my tongue sweats, uh, which I, I totally enjoy. That so I'll we'll take you ma- up on that. Great, Marty. Do you have any other questions you'd like to throw at Pete?
2: Nope, uh, great session, great to uh, great feedback, great to uh, hear Pete's uh, stories and the experience and what's going on with his uh, National Sports Center. I look forward to seeing what the footprint looks like in the next 24, 36 months, Pete, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, have an opportunity to come back to your facility and work with the, uh, I know the one Ryan's left, I know Ryan Hearn's still there, but uh, I know your other Ryan yep. has uh, gone south down to uh, Houston, I believe, but uh, no,
1: I look forward yep. to seeing
2: what's gonna happen to that uh, footprint uh, in the next 36 months.
1: Yeah, Ryan Qualley, we lost another good one. He's uh, in Phoenix, actually, and he's working Phoenix. with the with the Phoenix guys down there. And um, yeah, our, our next big project is, uh, we'll have one of the largest indoor domes uh, going over our our uh, stadium field that'll open up this November. So you'll see that if you come up, it'll be up in the wintertime and down in the summer, but um, that's one project we're doing right now. Look forward to it, look forward to it. back
0: to you, Doug. Great, thanks Marty. Pete, I wanna thank you very much for spending time with us today on this podcast. We want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode? Please email your questions or requests to info at zamboni.com. For more info and additional podcast episodes, please visit zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters talking with Marty Elliott and Pete Carlson, wishing you a nice day.